Well, welcome everyone. I appreciate you coming out this morning and taking a few minutes to uh, learn a good topic today. We have a lot of good information to go over. Like Kyle said, we're going to talk about three ways to ensure your children are taken care of after you pass away. So over the next 45 minutes, we're going to cover a broad range of areas, but some of the things we're going to go over are um, first, how to ensure that your wishes are followed. What actually happens to your stuff if you don't have a last will and testament or any sort of planning in place? You know, who controls, where does it go at that point? Is there really a formal reading of the will at the attorney's office? So you'll always see this in movies. So for example, the Rain Man, where he goes into the attorney's office and Charlie Babbitt learns he's not gonna get any assets, it's all going to his brother. You know, is that really a thing? Does that really happen? So we'll talk about that. And also kind of the timeline for estate administration. So what's the process and why does it usually take about a year, year and a half, or even up to two years to settle? Why is that not uncommon? You know, why is that kind of standard? And then we've all heard about probate and we have all kind of feared that or, or learned that that's a good thing to avoid, but that might be a misconception. You know, it's really not a terrible thing in Pennsylvania. So we'll go over what it is, what it entails, and why it might not be the, the worst to go through. So this seminar is really for you. If you're really worried about your children um, being able to take care of your affairs after you pass away, being hit by a large tax bill. So Pennsylvania has inheritance tax and some different taxes that you'll need to be aware of that we'll talk about or if you're really just worried about losing your life savings and really not having anything left to go to your children, or your grandchildren, or your beneficiaries. So those are all things that we're gonna go over today. So wouldn't it be nice if we had a crystal ball and we could look in the future and really see what's going to happen and how things will play out in the future, but unfortunately none of us have that crystal ball. So one of the things that I really wanna to stress today is really the importance of planning ahead because having a good plan in place before you pass away or before the crisis occurs is really going to avoid a lot of issues for your beneficiaries. So one of the biggest issues is really conflict within the family. So if you have everything written down, people know what your wishes are, then it doesn't leave really anything up to argument or disagreement among your family. So it's always good to have everything secure and in writing. And then you won't be worried about any unknown fears. You'll know what to expect if something happens to you. Your beneficiaries will know what to expect, who to contact. So it's always good just to have that, that peace of mind and that plan in place. So we just wanted to kind of let you know what some of our clients have been saying. So, so Carol wrote this really nice review and she said, I live out of state and my brother needed nursing home care. I was referred to your law firm by another law firm who could not help me. I felt extremely confident after my first meeting, knowing your staff had the knowledge to help me help my brother. And this is really something that we hear all the time. You know, a lot of attorneys don't specialize in estate planning or elder law. And so they really don't know how to set up a good plan and have that in place. But after, you know, people meet with our office, they really have peace of mind and they know what's going to happen. So this is really a common thing that we hear from our clients. But before we go any further, I just want to take a couple minutes just to introduce who I am, what I do here at the firm. So like Kyle said, my name is Brittany Smith. I am a certified elder law attorney, and that's just a national certification with the Elder Law Foundation. 
And what I do here at the firm, I've been here for about six years now, and I really have a unique perspective where I not only handle planning matters, so I can help set up estate plans, do asset protection. If you're in a nursing home or worried about nursing home and doing Medicaid planning, those are all aspects that we help with. Um, but then I also get to work with families after an individual passes away through the estate administration process. So I can help guide them through everything that needs filed and help get everything settled then once an individual passes away. So that's really what we're going to focus on today is really what happens after you pass away. But it's good to have the plan in place. Well, what if you don't pass away and you get sick and you need nursing home care? So that's also something to keep in the back of your mind. All right, so what are some of the things that you can do now to really look at protecting your beneficiaries? And these are all things that we're going to talk about in more detail. But a lot of times establishing a trust might be a good option, especially if you're not only worried about protecting your beneficiaries after you pass away, but also protecting those assets during your life. Again, if you were to get sick, you'd have to hire caregivers or go in a nursing home. You don't wanna be writing out a check each month for 10 to $11,000, which is really the average cost right now, because that can really deplete your life savings rather quickly. So that's where we use a lot of trust planning to really help protect assets during life. And then always just assigning good beneficiaries and having conversations with your family members so they know, you know, who's in charge after you pass away, what's going to be what, you know, who they contact. These are really hard conversations to have, but they are always a good conversation because it avoids a lot of conflict and confusion than if something were to happen. And then again, I can't stress this enough, just planning ahead, having a plan in place, knowing what's what, that's really going to be the best option to protect you and your family. All right, so what's the first tip today? So the first tip is don't be afraid of probate. So really what the term probate means is it's really just a Latin word that just means to prove. So we've all heard of the probate process and why it's horrible and you don't want to go through it. Well, really what probate is, is really just the process of establishing by the court that a document is your last will and testament. So what happens after you pass away is there is no formal reading of the will at the attorney's office. That's just kind of something that's left to the movies at this point. But what happens is whoever you appoint as your executor in your last will and testament, they will present that document to the court. So it goes to the register of wills at the courthouse. And what the Register of Wills does is they take a look at that to make sure that it meets all the legal requirements that are required for a last will and testament. And then what they do is they really establish that document as your controlling last wishes and your last will and testament. So that's really all that's meant by probate. And what they do is they swear in your executor at that point, and they really give them the formal authority to liquidate assets, deal with accounts, and really take over making those decisions after you pass away. So I tell people the whole process of getting sworn in, proving the will, and all of that usually is pretty straightforward, and it usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes. So it's not a real long process at the courthouse. Um, now, there are some fees involved, so sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to pay all the probate fees, and I don't, you know, want things to become public record, and, you know, in Pennsylvania, and again, this varies state to state, so I'm just talking about Pennsylvania, but probate in Pennsylvania usually is no more than a couple hundred dollars for the fees, so it's not real expensive, you know, it's usually one to two, three, four hundred dollars, and it's really based on the size of your estate after you pass away, that's how they determine the fee, 
Um, now, other states like Florida, you know, Illinois, some of these other states, I have heard that probate is definitely something that you do want to avoid because it's a lot more complicated in those states than it is Pennsylvania. So a lot of times I'll take a look, you know, if someone has a property in Florida or if they have property somewhere else where it would trigger this in another state, maybe we do some additional planning to avoid probate. But in Pennsylvania, it's really not something to be awfully concerned about um, because there is minimal fees and, and it's really not a long, a long process. Now, if you don't have the last will and testament in place, that's really the time too where your heirs are established. So, and that's really going to be according to the laws of Pennsylvania. So it's really known as what's called intestate law, which just means you passed away without writing down who your beneficiaries are. You don't have a last will and testament. And I don't recommend this because the state of Pennsylvania is not going to follow, you know, who you'd actually want your property to go to. It just has a designated default list. And I can guarantee it's probably not going to be who you'd want to receive those assets. So it's always good to have a last will and testament, and then that overrides it, and you can actually say, no, I want my assets to go to this individual or this charity, and, and you can really determine that. So just to kind of give you an example of how, you know, the intestate laws work, and this is one of the common misconceptions I hear from married couples is they're like, oh, well, everything will just go to my spouse. I don't need a will, or I don't have to worry about it. But that, that's not necessarily the case. So let's take a look at this scenario. So John and Jane Doe are married and they have one child together. Jane dies and didn't have a last will and testament. So what does that mean for John and the child? So John actually only gets the first 30,000 of the assets plus one half of the rest. Okay, so he doesn't get the full 100% even though he's the spouse. And then their child together is actually entitled to the other half of the estate. So you can see if there's a house involved or assets that were supposed to go to John, now you have the child involved and they would either have to give up their interest or give it back to John or there'd have to be some sort of a settlement. So it creates a lot of issues. Whereas if Jane would have just signed a will saying, I want everything to go to John, then this whole thing would have been bypassed. And it does de um, really determine based on, you know, who your next of kin is as well. So just to kind of go off another example, say John and Jane Doe are married, but Jane was married previously and has a child from her previous marriage that is not John's child. What happens to John and that child? Well, in this scenario, because the child isn't from the joint marriage, John only gets one half of the estate and the child actually gets the other half. So he no longer gets that first 30,000, it's just half and half. So especially in a blended family or a mixed family situation where you have stepchildren or children from previous marriage, if you wanna make sure everything goes to your spouse and there's no conflict, you wanna make sure that you have a will because this is definitely a scenario where there would be a lot of conflict or potential for conflict. So how does the probate process work? So there is a packet of information that you would have to take with you to the courthouse. So there's a petition that's involved and some other documents that you have to take. And normally this is something that is prepared by the attorney's office. So your beneficiaries don't have to worry about preparing it or filing it themselves. It's really where an attorney would get involved. But you do have to have a petition just presenting the will and asking that it be accepted as the last will and testament. 
And then after the probate process, there are some formal notice requirements that are triggered. So one of them is what's called a Rule 10.5 notice, which is just notice to all of the beneficiaries that, you know, there's been an estate open, this person's been appointed as the executor, and they're entitled to see a copy of the last will and testament. So that has to go to everyone that's listed in the will, any surviving spouse, and any surviving children. So even if the children and the spouse aren't listed in the will, they still have um, the right to see a copy of it, and they do have to still get notice of it. And then once all those notices are sent to the beneficiaries, you do have to file a certification that that has been sent with the register of wills. And that's just because it's been opened up with them and they have to keep track that all the formal notices have been sent. So you do have to certify that then with the register of wills. And then you also need to advertise the estate. So you guys have probably seen in the newspaper those little blurbs about this estate's been opened, contact this attorney or this executor. And really what that does is it has to be in a local newspaper and it has to run for three weeks after the estate's been opened. And really what that does is that puts any creditors on notice that, that this individual has passed away, there's an estate been opened, and if they're entitled to any payment, if they have an outstanding medical bill or an invoice, credit card bill, those creditors only have one year from the time that that advertisement is placed in the newspaper to let the attorney or the executor know, or they forfeit payment. So what it does is it kind of just starts a statute of limitations for any of those creditors trying to get money from the estate. So you do have to advertise, put it in the newspaper to clear out any of those creditor issues. And then also if the individual that passed away is over the age of 55, you do also have to notify the Department of Human Services that that individual has passed away. And that's in case the state of Pennsylvania has ever paid anything for their medical care. If they were ever on Medicaid benefits, in a nursing home, on the waiver program. Because what that does is whenever you apply for Medicaid benefits, the state of Pennsylvania exempts certain resources and they allow the individual to keep them. But then if any of those resources are still in the individual's name after they pass away, they have a claim against them or they have a lien against the estate. Now they can only come after anything that's in the deceased individual's name alone, but that's why you have to notify them to see if they have any lien against the estate and that would have to be settled before the assets can be distributed. And then kind of the next step is just collecting all of the assets, trying to find any stock or investment accounts, getting all the assets kind of consolidated so you know what the individual actually owned. And then you have to start looking at paying any debts, expenses, and taxes, because all of that has to be paid before any assets can be distributed from the estate. So, you know, one of the concerns too, is especially if someone passed away with minimal assets, the estate might be insolvent. So they might have more medical bills than they do assets or credit card bills. So the important thing to keep in mind with that is to really contact an attorney because there is a certain uh, level of priority for who gets paid first. So, you know, the funeral and some things like that have priority over maybe a credit card bill or a medical expense. So it's always important that you make sure that you pay them. If there's not going to be enough funds, you pay them in the right order. And then one of the, the common things I hear is too, well, well, do I have to wait the full year, year and a half to get anything from the estate, you know, till we have all these debts and expenses paid? 
And that's not really necessarily the case. Um, every estate's a little bit different. So I don't like to give a blanket, you know, oh, you can get the money at this point. But usually once you're sure of, of what the assets are, what the expenses are going to be, and that you're going to have enough to cover those expenses, you, you should usually get partial distributions along the way. Okay. So even though the estate might have to be open for a year and a half, two years till everything's formally finalized, there can be distributions along the way. So you don't have to wait the entire time. All right. So then the next tip is to avoid probate. You know, if that's something now that you've heard, you're like, oh, I really don't want to go through that process. I want to try to avoid probate and try to make things a little bit easier. That's really where a trust becomes important. And it can be revocable or irrevocable. And the good thing about a trust is it becomes its own entity. So because that asset is out of your name and it's owned by the trust, that actually avoids the formal probate process because probate only covers assets that are in your name alone at the time that you pass away. So real estate, bank accounts, anything like that in your name, that's what triggers the probate process. And the good thing about trust is they can be customized based on whatever your goals, your family situation, you know, whatever you want to achieve, they're really customizable. And we try to make ours as user-friendly as possible as well. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, doesn't a bank have to manage that? Or would the attorney have to constantly manage it? And, and we really don't. We, we teach you how to set up and manage your own trust. So we help you do the legal documents, but then we can actually list you as the one that manages it yourself. That way you don't have those ongoing fees and things. So the types of trusts, so they can be what's called grantor or non-grantor. And that really just means who's paying the income tax on the assets that you put in the trust. So for example, most of ours are set up as what are called grantor trusts, which again, to try to make them as user-friendly as possible. And what that means is say you put an investment account in a trust. Any of that interest or that income component is going to be reported on your personal tax return, just like you would do now if you own that asset outright. You don't have to file anything separate or get your accountant involved to file a trust tax return. It just goes on your personal tax return. Um, but some people say, oh, I want it to become its own entity. I want it to be separate, maybe try to avoid some inheritance tax when I pass away. So that's where we might look at what's called a non-grantor trust. And that's really where the trust becomes its own entity, kind of like a corporation or a business. You would have to file a separate tax return for it, a trust tax return. And you'd have to get what's called an EIN number, which is just a tax identification number. And really the only benefit of this one is it does sometimes avoid Pennsylvania inheritance tax, but you have to kind of be uh, a little bit leery of other taxes. So for example, real estate is not something we would put in there or stocks, anything that would be subject to capital gains tax because capital gains tax is 15%, whereas inheritance tax is only four and a half. So sometimes it's the lesser of the two evils. So most of ours just kind of keep in the back of your mind will be grantor. So you'll be the one that's paying the income tax on it. And then they can be revocable or irrevocable. So a revocable trust is one that you have full access to. You can terminate it at any time, get all the assets out, make any changes at any time. And this really is important because this type of trust does not have any sort of predator protection. It does not protect against nursing home care or any sort of long-term care costs. 
So a lot of times we don't use a revocable trust. Um, there are some, some instances, but a lot of the times we prefer what's known as an irrevocable trust because that's where you get the creditor protection, the asset protection, if you were to go in the nursing home. And what that just means is once you put the assets in, you just can't get them back out, they're locked in. But again, we try to make ours user-friendly as life changes, there are some, some things that you can change about the trust. And then it can also be an inter vivos or a living trust or a testamentary trust. So a living trust is one that is really effective during your life. So you would set it up today, it's effective today, it may be empty, you can put assets in it, but you really sign it during your life. Versus a testamentary trust is really one that's only effective after you pass away. So say you wanna leave assets to your grandchildren, but they're under age or you wouldn't want them to get the assets until they're 30 or they're able to manage it. That's where you can set up where it would actually go to a testamentary trust. Someone would manage it for them and then you could really determine how and when they would get their distributions, what age, what amount. Those are all things that you could decide. And then we have talked about the asset protection trust. So that's really an irrevocable trust. And if you're really concerned about protecting your assets today, if you were to need nursing home care, look at applying for Medicaid benefits in the future to pay for that nursing home care, this is really a conversation that we would want to have with you about setting up an asset protection trust, because that's really where you're going to get that, that creditor protection. And then if you have any beneficiaries that might have special needs, maybe they're on social security, disability benefits, or Medicaid benefits themselves, a lot of times it's not a good idea to leave things outright to them in your last will and testament, because when you pass away, that money's gonna go to them and it might hinder them from receiving those benefits that they're on, those public benefits. So a lot of public benefits have income and asset limitations, so one of the things that we can set up is what's called a special needs trust, where you can still leave assets and set it aside for their benefit, but it's not going to really be considered their asset. So it's really just to supplement whatever their benefits don't cover. So if they need clothing or they need to go on a vacation, anything that's, that's not covered by Social Security or Medicaid, that's where they could tap into that trust and really use that for their benefit. And then again, based on your goals, you can set up something for the education of your grandchildren or a charity, you can do that. You can set up a trust for your children if you're worried about them getting divorced or having creditor issues. Again, you can really set it up for whatever your goals are. And what are the common objectives? So one is avoiding probate, like I talked about. So once those assets are in the trust, you don't have to go through the formal probate process. Now there is still, still gonna be some administration after you pass away. You still have to send some notices and, and deal with some of the assets, but you don't have to necessarily go to the courthouse and go through the formal probate process, okay? Because the trust is gonna govern, govern its own assets after you pass away. And then again, creditor and long-term care protection. Those are really the main reasons that we set it up. That way you don't have to spend all of your money on a nursing home care, write out a check for $11,000 a month. It really gives you a lot more options by being able to set that money aside and make sure that it's protected. And then reducing the, the federal estate tax, this really isn't a large issue right now because um, the federal estate tax, you actually have to pass away with more than $11 million in your name before you're actually gonna be subject to the federal estate tax. So a lot of times that's not really a concern, but if you are in that bracket where you might say, oh, I'm gonna try to avoid that, that tax, 
that is a 40% tax and there are ways that we can um, try to avoid that by setting up a trust. And then again, just really managing your assets after you pass away. If you don't want beneficiaries to get it outright, you don't trust them with managing their money or you wanna make sure it's controlled or it lasts a while, you can always set up terms of how and when that trust distributes to your beneficiaries. So why a trust? So an irrevocable trust really allows you to choose what you protect because a lot of times, you know, if you're already in a crisis situation, and no planning has been done, nothing has been set aside in the trust, we can usually still protect about half of your assets, even if you're already in the nursing home or needing care at that point. But the good thing about a trust and doing it in advance of the crisis is we can protect a lot more and you can decide what you protect. If you wanna protect your house or you have an investment account or life insurance that you wanna make sure is protected. All of those are good assets that we can protect well in advance. And I say advanced because Medicaid has what's called a five-year look back for transferring assets, which you guys have probably heard of. So what will happen is if you go in the nursing home and you ask for Medicaid, which is a state benefit that will help pay for your care, they look back at all of the assets that you have given away within five years and they say, oh, no, you gave away assets. We're going to penalize you for that. You're going to have to privately pay for a certain amount of time. So the good thing to start this well in advance of the crisis is say you set up a trust today, you put investments, your life insurance, a house, and you don't need care for five years in one day, those assets are fully protected, there's no penalty, they don't even look at those as being your assets, so you qualify for those benefits a lot quicker while also being able to retain those assets. And then you also get to keep a lot of control. So a lot of times um, people will say, oh, well, I don't wanna give away my assets now if I can't access them, it's irrevocable, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, the good thing about ours is we can name you as the trustee. So that's really the individual that manages the assets that you put in the trust. So for example, if you were to put your house in a trust and down the road, you would decide that you wanna sell it, downsize, buy another house, or just put it in a bank account. Those are all decisions that you can make. No one else would have to sign off on that. So that would all stay the same, even if it's in the trust. Now, the way that it protects it from nursing home care is we can't give you direct access to make withdrawals from the trust because that's where they would say, great, get everything out of the trust, use it to pay for your care. But we still give you a lot of control over that as well because you can appoint a trusted individual who can reach into the trust and get distributions out if you would need. So for example, if you would put an investment account in there and you say, oh, well, I need a new roof. I need $10,000 out of the trust. You would go to this trusted individual and they would get it out for you. Okay, so you still have full control over it. It's just you have to go through a trusted individual. And then what it does is it not only protects you, but it also protects your spouse as well. If, if you're married and you're concerned about, well, what if I go in the nursing home? Is my spouse going to be impoverished? You know, what's going to happen to the house? Are they going to be protected? It's really going to make sure that you're protecting your spouse as well. Okay, because you never know who's going to get sick or who might pass away first. So it's just really, it's a good insurance policy just to make sure you're both protected.
All right, so then the final tidbit is clearly defining your final wishes, making sure everything's written down, everyone's on the same page, they know what's gonna happen. Um, and it's really important to have a plan in place because again, if you pass away unexpectedly, none of this is you know, set in stone. That's where beneficiaries can start arguing. Nobody really knows what you want, where to find things. So always have things organized, have a plan in place, know what you own. So this is something I can't stress enough. I can't tell how many times I've you know, dealt with estates where they're like, oh, well, mom and dad were secretive. I have no idea what bank they used or if they have stock, you know, I don't really know even where to start. So it's good to maybe have, you know, a list of what you own, make sure that the beneficiaries are up to date, you know, if it's a life insurance or an IRA where you can list beneficiaries. And then also looking in to see, you know, if you own stock because stock is always going to be an asset where you do have to go through the probate process, no matter the value. So if you have stock and it's just in your name alone, this is really an asset that a lot of people tend to forget about. They kind of set it aside and then they forget that they own it. So it's always good to revisit that and see, is it good to maybe keep this stock? Is it earning anything? Should I just liquidate it and get rid of it? So just kind of look into what you own. And then it's always good to check the PA Treasury website for any unclaimed property. So what this is, is if, you know, someone owes you a refund or there's a check or a dividend that you didn't cash, um, a lot of times after a certain amount of time, the company will send it to unclaimed property. And you can actually go on their website, type in your name and your information, and it will give you a list if the state of Pennsylvania owes you any money. So, and there's a, a form that you can fill out to claim it. Now they don't tell you how much it is. They'll just say it's under $100 or over $100, but um, it's always good to check that just to see if, you know, there might be any money that you might be due. You know, it might be $5, might be $100, you never know. And then it's also important to know how you own assets, you know, whether it's a joint account, whether, you know, it's in your name alone or real estate, you know, there's a couple different options of how you can own that. So it's always good to take a look at all that just to know who owns what. And then always update your beneficiary designations because anything that has a beneficiary designation, that's going to control where the policy goes. So regardless of what your last will and testament says, that's not going to have any bearing on an account where you can list a beneficiary. So a lot of times it's going to be life insurance, um, an IRA, sometimes annuities, you can set up beneficiaries. So I've you know, also seen horror stories where someone forgot they had a life insurance policy and they listed their ex-spouse. Um, so that policy went directly to the ex-spouse and there was really nothing that could be done about it just because they forgot they had it and they didn't have the right beneficiary listed. So always update that as life changes, make sure that, that it really is the individual that you wanna receive the policy. And then if you do own real estate, um, it might be good to get a copy of the deed, especially if you own it jointly with siblings or other individuals, you want to make sure where that property is going to go if one of the joint owners passes away. And there's kind of three different options in Pennsylvania. So the first option is called tenants in common. So for example, you own a property with you and your two siblings. It doesn't say anything on the deed. It just says you guys own it in thirds. The default is that it's going to be this way in tenants in common. 
And what that means is whenever one person passes away, their third of the, of the real estate is going to follow their estate plan. So it will go to their beneficiaries, their last will and testament, and it will trigger the probate process. Because anytime you own real estate in Pennsylvania and it's just in your name, you have to go through the probate process. But then kind of on the flip side of that is say you have own it with siblings and it says joint tenants with the right of survivorship. What that means is whenever one of you pass away, your third of the real estate will go back to the surviving owners. So it kind of creates a last to survive scenario, which whatever sibling survives longest, they're going to own that real estate 100%. But the good thing about this is this does avoid probate. So it's just a designation where the, it passes automatically according to the law. So you don't have to go through the probate process. It's just whoever owns it last owns that real estate 100%. And then the last designation is really just for spouses. So if you're married and you own property jointly with your spouse, it's going to be defaulted to the tenants by entireties which again just means if one spouse passes away, it goes automatically 100% to the surviving spouse. Okay, again, you don't have to probate that, it just goes automatically to your spouse. Now, you might have heard about Pennsylvania inheritance tax. So we are one of the few states that still does have the inheritance tax. Um, some other states like Florida and that have abolished it, they don't have it, but um, Pennsylvania does still have it. And usually all assets are gonna be subject to that tax once you pass away, except for life insurance. That is the only asset that really goes inheritance tax free. And that's really a good thing um, if you're gonna leave assets to a niece or a nephew or, or someone that might be in a higher inheritance tax bracket, that's always a good asset to maybe leave to them because that goes inheritance tax free. So who's responsible for paying this inheritance tax? Well, you can really outline that in your last will and testament based on how your distribution is. So if 50% is going to one person and 40% to someone else and 10% to someone else, you can have it allocated based on, you know, the percentages or um, the kind of the most common ways you can just have it taken out of the estate first. So if you pass away with $200,000 in assets, the inheritance tax will be paid out of that um, and then the other debts and expenses will be paid and then your beneficiaries will get whatever's left over then at that point. So that's really the most common way and it kind of avoids um, the beneficiaries having to come up with that money themselves, but you certainly can allocate it differently in your last will and testament. But if it's not provided otherwise, like I talked about, it really just comes out of the residue of your estate. So it comes off the top first and then they you know, really distribute whatever's left over then at that point. Now, if there are assets that are passing outside of your will, so example, that real estate is set up with joint tenants with the right of survivorship, so that goes outside of your will, or you have an IRA that goes directly to a beneficiary, a lot of times that inheritance tax is not paid from the estate assets because that would be unjust to your beneficiaries of the estate. So usually that's something that's gonna have to be paid by whoever's receiving that separate asset. Now, again, that's customizable. So if all your beneficiaries are the same, so everything goes equally to your kids, the IRA, the estate, everything, they can really choose where to pay that from. Um, but this would really be if you're leaving your IRA to one person, the estate goes to somebody else, they're gonna have to pay that tax on whatever they receive. 
And then we had touched a little bit on the federal estate tax. Again, you'd have to pass away with more than 11.7 million in your assets um, in order to be subject to this. And that is a tax rate of 40%. So if you are worried about that, again, this is something we can help you avoid. Um, but it does include all assets of you and your spouse, life insurance, the death benefit of life insurance, any jointly owned property, all of that's gonna be subject to that $11 million figure. And if you are in that tax bracket after you pass away, you do have to file a separate federal estate tax return. So that's known as a form 706. So just like the inheritance tax that needs to be paid within nine months, you would also have to pay any federal estate tax within nine months as well. So that kind of corresponds where the inheritance tax is the state of Pennsylvania tax. There is a federal tax, but again, you have to be over $11 million for that. And these two kind of get um, confused a lot too whenever I meet with clients. There is no asset limit for Pennsylvania inheritance tax, unfortunately. If you pass away with, with a dollar to your name, it, it's still gonna be due. So there's no exclusion like the federal estate tax of $11 million. All right, so what do you need to be thinking about or doing right now to avoid some of these issues and make sure things go as smoothly as possible? We'll definitely have an estate plan. Um, so have that last will and testament. Make sure your beneficiaries are outlined clearly. Um, you have an executor appointed in the will. And you want to make sure it's really someone that you trust. Because there is going to be a lot of paperwork and a lot of responsibility that the executor will have to do when you pass away. So you want to make sure that you talk to whoever you appoint, that they're, you know, first of all, willing to do this for you. And then second of all, that they're really responsible enough and, and skilled enough to be able to really handle it. And then one thing you might want to think about, too, is, is having a power of attorney during your life. So we not only want to look at, well, what happens when you pass away? Well, what if you get sick and you can't pay your bills or you can't talk to your doctors? Power of attorney is really a document that's effective during your life and if you get sick. So it's always good to have that in place as well, along with the last will and testament, because you never know what's going to happen if you were to get down, you can't pay your bills. You always want to have that power of attorney in place. And then again, just reviewing what assets you have. Do they have a beneficiary designation? Is that beneficiary up to date? You want to make sure that all of that changes as life happens and people pass away or, or things happen. You want to make sure your estate plan follows that. All right. And then anything, again, that has a beneficiary, just keep it updated, keep it reviewed. I like to tell people it's not static. It's not a one-time, you know, and then you can set it aside. You always have to keep this reviewed. And I always recommend yearly. Just take a look at it, make sure anything's changed, make sure everything's good to go. And then one good thing to think about too is maybe pre-arranging or setting up a prepaid funeral plan. So this is really a good option to take a lot of stress off of your family if something were to happen because they'll know exactly what funeral home to use. You'll have everything pre-arranged with the funeral home. So they'll know, you know, do you want um, a viewing or do you want flowers or, you know, the casket? All of that are, those are items that you can really pre-arrange and you can actually prepay for them in advance. And the good thing with funeral homes is um, they actually don't hold the funds there. They're not allowed to do that, but they can set it up in an irrevocable burial account, or sometimes they set it up in a policy that works like a life insurance policy, where, um, you know, if something were to happen to the funeral home, they would go out of business. You can still take that policy somewhere else, and, and it's still good. You don't lose your money. 
And sometimes, depending on the funeral home too, they will actually lock you in to today's price. So say you don't pass away for 30 years and funerals are a lot more expensive. If you prepay today, sometimes they'll guarantee that you're, you get that price today. So it's always something good to have a conversation with your family, maybe talk to a few funeral homes and see what, what the best option would be. And then always consider meeting with an elder law attorney, someone who really specializes in estate planning, estate administration, asset protection, because um, you really want to make sure that you have a good plan in place because all plans really aren't created equal. You want to make sure all the issues are addressed, the documents are good and up to date with the law, and then really have a conversation if you're worried about protecting assets now as well. You want to have a conversation as early as possible to get that five years started for the Medicaid look back. So you really want to do that when you're healthy and you're sure that you can get through that five years. All right, so here we just have another testimonial from one of our clients. So he said, I went to see them because of my parents who are both in a nursing home. I was very pleased with what they did to help cover the bills. I really didn't know what to expect and if they'd be able to do anything. They made things so easy. I'd ask around and I was told that the law firm was where I needed to go. They came very highly recommended and I can now see why. They stepped right in and helped to settle my parents' estate and make sure the nursing home expenses were paid. I tried to do some of the estate work on my own at first, and it was a lot harder than I thought. That's why I'm glad I made the decision to get their help. And again, this is something that we hear all the time, especially with the state administration. Um, people say, oh, well, I'm just going to try to do this on my own. You know, you know, I know the requirements and I can get it done. Well, unfortunately, what happens is you find out there's a lot more legal requirements or a lot more involved in the estate administration than what was initially expected. So it's always good just to get the advice of the attorney to know you're handling everything correctly. All right, and then asset preservation planning ahead really is a must. So that's something that we learned today. And then really probate in Pennsylvania is not a bad thing. It's really not something that you have to avoid. It's not real expensive, um, but if that's something that you wanna do, maybe setting up a trust or getting those beneficiary designations, all of those are good things to avoid it. All right, and then just the last testimonial that we have for you today, he just says, I can't see myself using another law firm. I came into the office upset and worried. When I left, I felt calm and relieved. That meant so much to me. Thank you so much. And that's really just something that we hear a lot too, just the peace of mind, just knowing you have all this established, you've had these, these tough conversations with your family and you know what's gonna happen if something of a crisis would occur. All right, so how can you really start this processing and get this peace of mind? Well, what we do is we offer a free long-term care strategy session and what we do is we really meet either via Zoom or phone call, or now we are offering in-person appointments so you can set up in-person. And what we do is we really go over if you have current estate planning documents, whether they're in good order, if you need to get them updated. Um, we can talk about asset preservation strategies, take a look at what you own, if, is a trust good for you. We'd really talk about all of your goals and make sure that you know we set up a strategy that would help you meet all those goals. And then really at the end of that, you'll really know, you know what our fees would be, what documents you should do, what your options are, and you'll really start having that peace of mind because you'll know, okay, this is really the steps I need to take and this is where I can get to, to reach my goals. 
And then after our meeting, if you decide to, to move forward with the planning, so what we do is we take a look at your assets, your goals, and we really develop a written plan of recommendations for you. And then we would help you implement all of those recommendations step by step. So if it's putting assets in a trust or, you know, updating beneficiary designations, we help you fill out all that paperwork. So you wouldn't have to worry about doing that on your own. We would just help take care of all of that for you. And then we'd also prepare any legal documents, go over those with you, make sure they're set up correctly, and then we would have you sign them. So that strategy session really is free. So we don't charge anything for that. So there's no commitment, nothing. You just talk to us about what your goals are, what you're looking for, and then we give you the information and our recommendations based on our conversation. All right, and then here's how you can um, book that session. So you can go with chat with sgy.com or you can call that 800 number um, and we can get that scheduled for you. Do both a revocable and irrevocable trust qualify for a stepped-up basis when property goes to children through the trust? Yeah, so they do. Um, so really what controls the stepped-up basis is if you pay inheritance tax on the asset um, and you get them as a result of passing away. So both the revocable and the irrevocable normally do qualify for the stepped-up basis. Does probate go through the county I live in or can it go through any county in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so it's really controlled on the county you live in whenever you pass away. So for instance, if you live in Lycoming County, um, probate would have to be in Lycoming County. And we thank uh, everyone for your time here. I'll just say that again, our toll-free number, 800-351-8334. Uh, you can go to chat with sgy.com to schedule an appointment. You can also visit our website is paeldercouncil.com. We have a lot of great articles on there, a lot of good free resources.